uh, Luke 11. We're continuing in our summer series called How to Pray. And today we're looking at Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. And one thing we've been saying is that uh, every Christian is enrolled in the school of prayer, and nobody graduates from that school. And the reason that we're all students in the school of prayer is because prayer is not something that you ever master and then move beyond. You can actually never learn enough about prayer to then move on to the next important thing in the Christian life because, frankly, the Christian life is a life of prayer. And so maturing in the faith, growing spiritually, actually all involve growing deeper in your prayer life. Think of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the most perfect man to ever live, and yet he was the most prayerful person. In his perfection and blamelessness, he did not move beyond the need to pray, but he committed himself to pray even more. And so if you want to grow in prayer, if you want to learn how to pray, um, it would be good for us to look at the prayer life of our Lord and Savior. So this morning, our sermon is entitled, How to Pray as Jesus Prayed. So if you are able, I invite you to stand with me. We stand because it is an act of worship for the reading and the receiving of God's word. Today, we read it from Luke 11. We're reading verses 1 to 4. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated and join me in prayer once more. Father in heaven, open our ears that they may be attentive and that we may listen. And in listening, we might be convicted and then convicted. We might be transformed and in transformation, you would receive glory from our lives. So do all this now as you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So far in this series, we've talked about how to start your prayer. We said you begin by calling on God as your Father. And then, secondly, we looked at how to end your prayer. You should close your prayer by praying in the authority and the name of Jesus. And both of these things are very simple uh, elementary principles of prayer. And yet, if you linger over them for a bit, you'll discover that the realities are quite profound in the way that they can change you. This morning, we're looking at how Jesus prayed And we're going to spend today just doing kind of an overview. Uh, We're looking more at how Jesus prayed according to the Gospel of Luke. And then next week, we will take a look more specifically at the Lord's Prayer. Um, But one thing you may have noticed from the get-go is that when we read the Lord's Prayer according to Luke, it sounded probably a little different than you were used to. Most of you uh, maybe grew up saying the Lord's Prayer and you realized, oh, this version is shorter, it's more abbreviated, it's the, you know, too long, didn't read version of it. And so uh, why are we looking at Luke's version? Because it seems shorter, more concise than Matthew's. Well, uh, the reason is because Luke in the entire gospel Uh, has a theology of prayer that the other gospel writers don't. Uh, Luke emphasizes prayers in ways uh, that the other gospel writers don't emphasize. And then secondly, the reason we're looking at Luke is because there's a little interesting detail about it that really sets the tone and changes how we come and approach this passage. And that's this. 
This account in Luke is the only time in all four Gospels that the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him to teach them something. They ask in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the natural question is, what prompted this question? What prompted, prompted them to ask? Because if you think about it, there's no record in the other Gospels of the disciples ever asking, Jesus, can you teach us how to preach? Can you teach us how to share the gospel? Can you teach us how to cast out demons? Can you teach us how to read the Bible or how to do a quiet time? They don't ask Jesus many questions. It's the only record of them coming to Jesus. And what do they ask? Teach us how to pray. Now, why is that? And the simple answer is because they saw Jesus pray. Right, going back to verse one, we, we read this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They see Jesus praying, and therefore they ask him how to pray. Now, of course, this isn't the first time they saw Jesus praying. Uh, throughout his entire ministry, Jesus prayed constantly. The disciples were with Jesus for many years, and what did they see? They saw the intimacy Jesus experienced with the Father in prayer. They saw the peace that he lived with in his life. Because he prayed, they saw the joy that filled his heart when he prayed. They saw the power of it in his life when he prayed. And so naturally, they wanted to learn how to pray too. Friends, if you want to learn how to pray, you also need to take a look at Jesus' prayer life. Because then in the same way that the disciples were inspired, you too can be inspired. You know, one of my goals during sabbatical was to find a hobby. I wanted to discover something that I can enjoy outside of ministry. I gave various things a try. I tried cycling for a bit. I tried cooking. None of them um, I found to be very restful or enjoyable. And so uh, in the middle of April, I landed on golf as my new hobby. And here's one thing that I quickly discovered. Uh, every time I went to the golf range and I hit a bucket of balls, I left feeling absolutely frustrated. Never have I been so excited to do something, gone and done it, and then left hating it so much. I was so discouraged at my lack of evident progress, and I always left resolving to quit. But why did I keep coming back? Well, it's not because I hit the ball so well, I was inspired by my playing that I wanted to come again. It's because I would hit the ball so poorly, I would go home, I would watch videos of other people playing golf, and that would inspire me. Because if I based my response solely on my own performance, I was growing impatient, I was growing frustrated, I would have quit. But when I saw a video of a professional driving a ball 300 yards straight down the fairway or chipping it 80 yards and landing it within three foot of the pin, I'd want to go get my clubs and go practice some more. I wasn't inspired by looking at myself and my performance, but by looking at somebody else and their performance. And in the same way, if you look at your own prayer life, you may not feel so inspired to pray. You may be discouraged about praying. You may be growing impatient or frustrated at your requests. And when that goes on for so long, this frustration, impatient discouragement turns into disinterest. You're disinterested in praying. And when that goes on for so long, it becomes neglect. You stop praying. Maybe that's why some of you are struggling in your prayer life. Maybe that's why you don't really pray. 
You find it to be a struggle. You lack the desire. You have no motivation. You are left uninspired. Sure, you may pray as a remnant of Christian duty. Um, right before you eat, you may say a quick prayer. You may pray when you're running late to a meeting and you're hitting all of the red lights. You may pray when you're really desperate and you need a miracle from heaven, then you'll come to God. But other than that, your prayer life might be pretty bare, impoverished. So like the disciples, you need to catch a vision of your Savior praying. You need to see not just what he prayed, but why he prayed. Now, I want to remind you, the disciples were all Jewish which meant they already knew how to pray. It was part of their religious practice. And so when they see Jesus praying, it's not a brand new thing for them. So when they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, it's because they were asking Jesus, teach us how to go deeper. Help us to pray beyond formality into familiarity. Teach us to pray so that it's not just duty, but it becomes delight. Teach us to pray so that it's less of a job and more of a joy. And I think that's something that all of us could stand to learn. So friends, here's the point of our meditation this morning. Prayer isn't something you offer God, it's what God offers you. Prayer isn't something that you offer up to God, but prayer is something God offers you. Now, let me explain. What exactly do I mean by that? It means this. Prayer is not the good work that you offered God. Prayer is not some religious duty that you perform because he needs you to or because he wants you to. Prayer is a means of grace that God has offered you. In other words, prayer is a privilege God grants you so that you can fellowship with him, so that you can enjoy him. Just as the Lord's Supper that we're going to soon take is a means of grace by which you commune with God, you receive his benefits, so too prayer is a means of grace God extends to you so you can enjoy him and walk with him and know him and delight in him. Now, I already mentioned that Luke chooses to emphasize Jesus' prayer life more than any other gospel writer. And we know that he has a special interest in Jesus' prayer life for really two reasons. Number one is quite simple. Luke talks about prayer almost twice as much as anybody else, any other gospel writer. So one, just the sheer amount, the frequency that he talks about prayer shows he has an interest. But secondly, there are actually several occasions that Luke records, that Matthew and Mark also also record, but Luke mentions that Jesus was praying in the midst of it. It's very interesting. They record the same event, but Luke adds in there that he was praying. So for example, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record Jesus's baptism. You may know the story. Jesus is in the water, the heavens open up, the spirit comes down like a dove. The father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include it, but only Luke records. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened up. Here's another example. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus choosing the 12 disciples and then naming the disciples. But do you know it's only Luke who records this. And these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose them from, from, uh, chose from them 12. Third example, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus' transfiguration. That's when he goes on the mount and his appearance is changed. He becomes radiant. Only Luke records, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. 
And lastly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus' crucifixion on the cross when he died in the place of sinners. And they all record Jesus' final words, but only Luke records Jesus' prayers. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke is emphasizing that Jesus was a man of prayer. So you get to Luke 11, you read, now there was this man who was praying in a certain place. The natural question is to ask this, why? Why did Jesus pray so much? If he was the eternal son of God, why did he need to pray? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever wonder that? Why does Jesus need to pray? Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is himself God. He and the father are one. They share the same essence and substance. So why did he have to pray? Did the father not know the mind of the son unless the son articulated it? expressed it, spoke it out. Now, if you've ever wondered this, it actually reveals the bias of what you think prayer is. If Jesus is the eternal Son of God, enjoying fellowship with God the Father from before the foundations of the earth, it actually makes complete sense that he prayed. Because prayer is not just about getting something from God, nor is it about giving something to God. Prayer is the means by which you enjoy God. And it's because Jesus is the eternal son that he prayed to commune and fellowship with his father. You may ask, if Jesus is God, why did he have to pray? No, friends, because Jesus is God, the son of God, he prayed. It would be strange if he did it, if he didn't share in fellowship with his own father. And it's that which the disciples must have sensed when they saw Jesus praying. It's that that they wanted access to. That's what they wanted to experience, that kind of intimacy, that kind of fellowship, that kind of joy. And so they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus doesn't say, no, this isn't for you. This is between me and my father. You have no privilege in this. Nobody else can share this except me. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, absolutely. I came here to earth to die on a cross to make a way for you to have a relationship with the father so that you can then enjoy him in prayer in the same way that I enjoy him in prayer. And thus, Jesus begins his instructions. You want me to teach you how to pray? Verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Jesus is saying, if you want to experience the intimacy and fellowship of prayer like I do, if you want to experience the joy of knowing the Father like I do, start by calling God Father. Because if you don't know who he is, how can you enjoy him? Start here. And that's actually why the first words matter. What you utter, what you call God, it sets the tone of the entire prayer. Everything else to follow, it sets the trajectory of how you interpret and understand the rest of prayer. Years years ago, when I was first starting off in ministry, I served at a Korean-American immigrant church as a college pastor. And, you know, being in that kind of context, I was required to wear a full suit every Sunday uh, in every season. And... um, On one occasion, uh, right after all of my Sunday ministry duties, I went to go guest preach at a youth retreat, and the schedule was so tight that as soon as all my ministry duties ended, I got in my car and I rushed to the retreat center. By the grace of God, I get there right as the praise is ending. It's the evening set, and so I get in my car, I'm running out. I didn't have time to change. And so I show up at this youth retreat, and I'm dressed in a full-blown suit. 
And what I came to realize is that because that was their first impression of me, it set the tone and the trajectory of everything to follow because that changed how the students saw me and how they responded to me. That was their introduction to the preacher of their summer retreat, the guy coming and wearing a suit. And so I was like 23 at the time, but they were like bowing to me in respect. And I was preaching in English, but they were speaking Korean to me. And you know, it, was, it was all foreign. I would make jokes and they would look like, I think that's funny, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to laugh. You see, the way they were introduced to me set the trajectory, the tone of the rest of the retreat. And it took a lot of work to reverse it. Through Jesus Christ, your introduction to the God of the universe is as your Father. Your prayers must be to the Father, right? Because that sets the trajectory of everything else to follow. You see, there are so many metaphors that you need to understand if you want to understand God. Is God your king? Yes, he is. Is God your master? Yes, he is. Is God your friend? Yes, he is. But Jesus says when you pray, the primary introduction to him is by calling him Father. Why? When you call him Father, it makes prayer relational, not transactional. If you approach prayer as something transactional, and I think many of us do, then you'll view praying as giving something to God in order to get something from God. I give you a prayer, you grant me my request. I give you praise, you listen to what I have to say. That's transactional prayer, but if prayer is relational, it makes prayer simply about being with God, enjoying God walking with God. Which describes your prayer life? Which describes your attitude toward prayer? Is it transactional or relational? You know, something very interesting about our passage today is the context in which it comes. Now, Matthew 6 is the more well-known um, passage on the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew 6, if you know it, Matthew 5 to 7 is, the context is the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is teaching prayer in the midst of this larger teaching. But if you have a Bible and you look at Luke, there's no obvious context. The story right before the Lord's Prayer is the uh, Martha and Mary. Some of you may not know that story. Then you get the Lord's Prayer teaching. And then right after is Jesus casting out demons so what's going on? Because it seems like the Lord's Prayer randomly falls in there. And if you look at it carefully, there seems to be no geographical connections with what came before. There seems to be no uh, chronological connections with what came before. But what you discover is there's actually a thematic connection. The Lord's Prayer ties in with the story of Mary and Martha you see, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, is a story about two sisters. Some of you may know it, Mary and Martha, who are both very close friends with Jesus. One day he comes over unexpectedly, and as was the custom at the time, they received him with uh, warm hospitality. Uh, the problem is, while he's there, Martha is scrambling to get some food together. She's trying to figure out how to host him. Mary is nowhere to be found, and when she's discovered, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, spending time with him. And while Martha served on her feet, Mary sat on her butt. Now, I'm not sure about this, but I suspect Martha was the older sister and Mary was the younger sister. But here's what's important about this passage. 
Despite all that she did, Luke comments about Martha in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. That's his commentary on her. And despite not doing anything at all, Jesus commends Mary in verse 42. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And it seems like one of the points of this, Luke's message is this, being with Jesus is far better than being busy for Jesus. Being with Jesus is far better than being busy for Jesus. Walking with Jesus is far better than working for Jesus. Because in the end, Jesus is not impressed with all that Martha did for him. It doesn't mean Jesus wasn't grateful and appreciative, but his concern wasn't whether she cooked a great meal for him or not. He cared whether she chose the good portion or not. So Jesus commends the one who sat at his feet, not the one who served him food. Why? Because the Christian life is not about what you offer to God. It's about what God offers to you. The Christian life, the gospel principle, is not about working for God, but walking with God. And so as that story ends, the next story Luke records for us is Jesus praying and then teaching about the Lord's Prayer. What's the point? It's this. Praying is choosing the good portion. Praying is learning to be with God and to sit at his feet. See, friends, you need to be clear and understanding this, prayer is not a good work you do for God. Prayer is not a spiritual service you lift up for him. Prayer is not a duty that you're tasked to accomplish. Prayer is not a service you must perform. Prayer is sitting at God's feet and abiding in him, resting in him, entrusting yourself into him. Prayer is that gift God has granted you, the means of grace he's offered you, by which you can be in his presence. And it's a privilege granted a gift offered because on your own, on your own merit, by the guilt of your many sins, you have no right to come into God's presence. You have no right to enter into his throne room. You have no right to enter even the courts of heaven. Jesus could pray because only Jesus had no sins. Only Jesus had the right. Because he had the right, he loved to spend time praying in his Father's presence. But through the gospel, Jesus Christ tears the veil that separated you from God, that kept your sins from his holiness. And he gave you access to go before the one, the one that he went before, the Father in prayer. Now, some of you may remember when you were young, Maybe you had friends over to come play, or you went over to their houses to play. You may know that there was an unspoken rule understood by all, that there were levels of access in anybody's home. And a stranger could come up to your door, but they can't go past your door. A friend can come over the house, spend time in the living room, the kitchen, the basement. They can go to your room. But of course, there's one room in the house that they could not enter. One room in the house that you had to guard from entry. Some call it the Holy of Holies, but you know it as your parents' room. And now some of you are parents and you have kids, your, your kids' friends coming over, and that's the one room they're not allowed to enter. 
you know, when I was a kid and friends came over, if I needed to get something from my parents' room, if I needed to retrieve it, nobody else could go and only I had access. I would crack open the door, slip in, close the door, come out, crack open the door, leave, close the door. Only I had access. Why? Because only I was the son. Which meant I could go places that nobody else was allowed to go. That inner place was off limits for those who were not family. The same is true in prayer. Only Jesus, the Son of God, could enter into the Holy of Holies. Only Jesus had the right to enter into the Father's presence. It was a right that he enjoyed in prayer. And while he prayed from on the inside, everybody else could only peer from the outside. That is until God offered you the same right and the same access that Jesus shared. How does God offer this? He offers it through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the good news of the gospel says, through Jesus, you are welcomed and you are brought into the family. You are made children of God. What is the gospel? Well, we tend to understand it as you're washed of your sins by the blood of Jesus. That means you're forgiven. And as you grow in the gospel, you understand Oh, the gospel is the good news that your status now is counted as righteous in his sight. That means you're justified. But to grow deeper in the gospel means to understand that your name is changed to bear the Lord's name. It means you are adopted. So the gospel reality of Luke 11 is that Jesus does more than invite you in to the Lord's prayer. The gospel reality is that he invites you to call his father your father. And for those who have faith in Jesus and are adopted into God's household, you now enjoy the privilege of prayer by enjoying God the Father, to sit at his feet, to choose the good portion. You don't pray in the hopes that based on the merit and the goodness and the eloquence of your prayer that you get access to the inside. No, Jesus already gets you there. Now you pray to enjoy the one on the inside. When you see prayer less as a duty to perform and more as a delight to enjoy, you'll start praying. Let me close with two exhortations for you. The first is this. Prayer is not a performance. It's personal. So pray. I'm sure you've all know people and heard people who pray so eloquently and powerfully. They pray confidently and assuredly. They never stutter nor stumble. Their prayers flow like a melody. And it's tempting to want to pray like that and feel ashamed that your prayers aren't as good, that the transitions in your prayers are awkward. You always are lacking in the right words to say to express yourself. But remember, your prayer is a performance, isn't a performance you're offering God. Your prayers don't need to be perfect. When I preach and I prepare a sermon, I think a lot about the words that I want to speak to you all. I write a phrase and then I edit that again and again and again. Why? I want to be as clear as possible. I want you to receive my words well. So I prepare a manuscript. But imagine how strange it'd be if every morning, in order to talk to my wife, I needed to prepare a manuscript. What if I was so worried about saying all the right words in the most articulate way to impress her that I didn't speak to her unless the words were perfectly written down? How ridiculous. In the same way, prayer is personal. It's not performative. It's personally encountering God. So stop worrying about the perfection of your prayers and just start praying. Second, prayer is not just asking, it's abiding. So pray. 
It's good to ask for things in prayer. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. It's good to ask in prayer. But prayer cannot only be asking. It must include abiding. What does that mean? Prayer must involve entrusting yourself to God, laying yourself down before him. How do you do that? Well, what are the plans that you're making? What are the emotions you're feeling? What are the thoughts you're having? What is the hurt you're experiencing? What is the fear that you're being gripped by? What are the desires that you are wanting? Bring those to God. Lay that at his feet. Throw yourself upon him so that you can rest in him. Because if all you ever do in prayer is ask, then you'll run out of things to pray about because you'll run out of things to ask about. But if prayer is abiding, if prayer is letting God in on your head and in your heart, if it's casting upon yourself upon him entirely every day, continually, then you'll discover that you can pray without ceasing. And so sit at his feet and choose the good portion and abide in him and just start praying. Friends, through Jesus, the father he prayed to becomes the father you pray to. When you pray, don't think you're offering something up to God. Realize God is offering himself to you. So take him and receive him and enjoy him in prayer. Do you bow your heads with me?